Almighty God, uh, we are grateful and thankful to you, Lord, for this day to remember the resurrection. But Lord, help us to uh, keep it in our minds every day, and especially on Sunday. And um, we are thankful to you for this place and protecting us um, from unreasonable men uh, during times of unreasonable things they may try to implement. Pray that you give us strength and courage when uh, the enemy may try to attack us. I pray that you would protect us from uh, unreasonable and wicked men that may try to discourage us from what we're supposed to do here. And I pray for those that uh, come here and there, Lord, that you would bring conviction on them, that they, you would use your word to pierce their hard hearts, that they would come to know you before it's too late. Um, the days are evil, and the time is coming, Lord, where you're going to come back and judge them like Pastor Rick said earlier, and um, we pray that they would be prepared to answer to you and that you would be, you would cover them with your blood. And um, we thank you so much, Lord, for the remembrance of this. I pray that you'd be with my brother today as he preaches your word. Give him boldness and strength and help him not to fear man. And uh, we pray that you give him the words to speak to us that would uh, uh, continue to grow us, Lord. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll be reading verses 12 through 19. First Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning at verse 12. Now, in verses 1 through 11, Paul grounds the resurrection in historical fact. Something that you'll notice in this particular chapter, Paul is defending the resurrection of the dead, but Paul does not use apologetic arguments Paul uses the testimony of witnesses, including himself, to affirm the reality of the resurrection. And now in verses 12 through 19, he discusses or he takes up the objection what if the resurrection never happened? That's what he's getting at here in these verses. So I'll begin to read from verse 12 down through verse 19. Excuse me, I said 18, down through verse 19. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we, have, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead 
do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pitiable. Amen. Amen. What a climactic place to stop. Because, you know, verse 20 really takes up the truth that Christ is written from the dead as the first fruits. I want to show you various really interesting features in this particular passage. Verses 1 through 18. Look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Look at verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Look at verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Look at verse 17. And if Christ is not written, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. See how Paul is, Paul is repeating himself. In essence, he is saying the same thing. He adds a little, maybe an implication, uh, in verse, verses 14. He adds, and in verse 17, he adds implications. But he is repeating himself. He's going back and forth. But now note how he makes the statement in the different passages because there is, there is a slight difference. Listen, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead... Now look at now listen to verse 16. That was verse 13. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Now 14. And if Christ is not risen, verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. That's verse 14. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In verse 17. Well, he's saying the same thing. He's bringing in a bit of nuance. And he is addressing, really, uh, among the people here, what uh, uh, Paul is doing, Christ. What Paul is doing is, he's addressing an argument. Listen to what he says in verse 12 again. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's in verse 12. So there are some among the church at Corinth who believe that Christ is not raised from the dead. And now the if, of course, is tricky. But Paul is just using a rhetorical device. And he's using it to persuade his readers to pay attention, to listen. That's the reason why you would use uh, conditional statements like this. If, then. If, then. And he uses them throughout this entire section. He wants to catch their attention. And he wants to make sure that they understand that what he is saying is of vital importance. If Christ is not raised from the dead, you have no present hope. Those who have died in Christ are warm food, and there is no future glory if Christ is not raised from the dead. So now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. Well, why does he say that? Well, look at verse 3. Same chapter, verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. 
So this is something that Paul was entrusted with. What was Paul entrusted with as a gospel minister? This truth, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So what was entrusted to Paul is the preaching of the gospel. This is, um, this is what he highlights in Ephesians chapter 2, and you'll see that this is, why, um, this is one of the reasons why Paul doesn't uh, take up historical arguments or uh, address, you know, uh, pagan, pa you know, pagan celebrated. He doesn't, take, he doesn't take any of those things into account as he is dealing with the issue of the resurrection because the, the issue of the resurrection has to do with God affirming that he would raise his son and then God confirming the resurrection through the preaching of the apostles. Listen to what Paul says in, uh, in Ephesians. Speaking of himself, he's speaking of his ministry in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, and then he adds this long Aside, He doesn't get back to his point for a, a while here. And um, I would say probably down to verse 8. Look at verse 8. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, to me, who, ha who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is what he uh, describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Life, death, burial, and resurrection. Those are the riches of Christ that he preached. And what he is saying, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection? So there are those, there, there's a faction among the Corinthians, and they're teaching this, that the doctrine of the resurrection was not true. Jesus was not raised from the dead. The resurrection did not occur. What's interesting is, you know how this, this epistle is written maybe 20 years after the resurrection. So Paul can say things like this. Look, let's look back at verses 3, uh, three through 8. After he says, we'll pick up at verse 5, and so the scriptures affirmed that Christ would be raised from the dead. But then there are eyewitnesses. And there's an order here that he presents these witnesses in. And that he was seen by Cephas. That's Peter. So, in essence, the leader of the disciples. He sees Peter, or Peter sees him. Peter preached that he saw the risen Christ. And he preached, he saw the risen Christ immediately after he saw the risen Christ in Acts chapter 2. But not only Peter, then the twelve also saw him. And many of these were still alive. You see, that's why that time frame is so important. Paul is saying, Peter saw him. Well, you could go find Peter and have a conversation with Peter. When did you see him? How did you see him? What did he say? And then you can go to the twelve and the, the, uh, the, uh, the others, the other eleven, and they would say the same thing. After that, he was seen by over 
500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So now, not only do you have the 12, but you also have 500 other eyewitnesses that saw Christ raised from the dead. And adding to that, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So, you have all of these multiple witnesses. What's, what's the purpose? What, what, why is Paul bringing this up? Well, the first thing we have to note is that uh, we should not be surprised when factions arise in churches. Trivial ones will arise. Trivial, right, right, trivial things. You, you know, um, I want a tin roof on the chapel and then everybody gets upset because they want tile and, right, and you have a church split over the roof. But, but even over important, important doctrinal matters, very early in the church, there were theological disputes. Which means that factions are essential. In this same book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, Paul says this, For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved, and the word therefore approved is authentic, one possible translation, authentic. Those who are authentic may be realized, or may be recognized, they may appear, it may be apparent, those who are authentic among you, those who are truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you have uh, doctrinal and practical issues arise in the church. Issues of theology and issues of the way people ought to live. Why? So that it can become evident. These are disciples and these are not disciples. So here the issue that Paul was dealing with, of course, was the resurrection. We must, by means of our doctrine, and of course, by our life, be distinguishable from heretics. That's what he's dealing with here. He's dealing with people. So, so if if you know someone, and you maybe you've heard this this week, or or maybe in the past, sometime during this time of the year, where you have people who are quote unquote well-meaning, who I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe that. Well. If that is the case, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And here you have this, it's a mutual, one author put it this way, you have a mutual reciprocal inference. That's, like seven, that's a 75 cent clause. <laughs> It's a mutual, reciprocal inference. And the inference that he's drawing is this, is that, it's an easy one, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus could not have been raised from the dead. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we will not be raised from the dead. There's this relationship that exists between Christ and His people that is so intimate I've, said, I've used the word before, and I get it from somebody who is not a mystic. John Murray says that it's mystical. 
We don't quite understand, or we cannot quite express what it means to be united to Christ and to share in His benefits. Now, a statement like that may clarify what we mean by that. But the, way, the, the, the nature of that union is so amazing that, that uh, as we read earlier, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. No, I'm not. I'm right here in war saying right now. And I'm standing. What, what does Paul mean by that? It, it's the nature of our union. That reality is, we are united to Christ in such a way that the reality of heaven is mine now. It's certain. I have it. Therefore, if Christ is not raised from the dead, I will not be raised from the dead. If Christ is raised from the dead, there will be a resurrection. If there is a resurrection, Christ has been raised from the dead. We have to remember, and, and this was partly in the, in the, um, uh, the answer to the question that I asked about the resurrection, what benefits we receive from it. We have to remember that Christ did not die for himself. And he did not rise from the grave for himself, but for us. The way that Calvin put it was that the, the resurrection is the foundation of all of our hope. Anybody could die. Of course, no one could die the way Christ died. He was a sinless, he was the sinless Son of God. But any person could die. Only the Son of God could rise from the dead. His resurrection is the foundation for all of our hope. If, um, and it was for our benefit, for our good. God understands our weakness and our corruption and what He does to secure our hope is raising Christ from the dead so that we can have a confidence that if He has done it to my head, He will do it to me. Or, to use my uh, you know, movie reference, wherever the head is, is, the body is there. Where our head is, Christ Jesus, where He is, He is in heaven. Now, we are accounted as being there also with Him. It is a guarantee that what happened to Him as a first fruits will happen to us as a harvest that He has collected. God understands our weakness and the corruption of our own hearts and He wants to secure our salvation and He does that by basing it solely upon what Christ has accomplished for us. That has to be the foundation of our hope, what Christ accomplished for me, particularly the resurrection. Therefore, if Christ was raised, I will be raised also. Um, it was uh, Contra was one of my favorite video games. Was, was Contra on, was Contra on Genesis Sega Genesis? No, it was. What was it? What was it on? Tell me, Nintendo. NES. Okay, it was on NES. And I had the cheat code for up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, right. I knew that I still got it memorized. And that cheat code would give you. Um, you, you couldn't die, right? 
So you could do, I mean, everything, every possible mission you could do, beat everybody. Okay. That doesn't exist in real life. I'm sorry. There's no cheat codes. But for, for the people of God, there is this, this promise that we will be raised from the dead. Therefore, we can live our Christian lives with the greatest hope. And it doesn't matter what, you see, um, it doesn't matter what God benevolently, right, in His benevolence, brings into our life. No, no, no matter of tragedy, difficulty, hardships, misunderstandings, uh, dark nights of the soul, temptations, sins, whatever comes into our life, we can live with confidence and with hope, knowing well, my Savior was raised from the dead. I have no reason to fear anything in this world. He is all my confidence. But now, now he begins to draw some implications, of course. Verse 14, And if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Lacking truth. is The, what, the, the word there, what he means by it lacks truth, it lacks content. You see, Christianity is not a reality. Uh, it's, excuse me. Christianity is a religion that is based upon reality. It's not just uh, well-wishing and thinking. Oh, what, what God is teaching by the resurrection of Christ is that, you know, you can all, we can all have a new beginning and we can start all over. And no. The, the resurrection teaches us that Jesus was raised from the dead and that every person will be raised from the dead some to life that is incorruptible and some to a life that will be filled with judgment. Their preaching would lack truth. If he was defeated by death, we cannot be delivered from death by him. Verse 15 now. Yes. And more further implications, right? The first is there is no content to our faith. We have nothing, we have no hope to communicate to other people. Go ahead and keep on not evangelizing. Because it doesn't matter. There's no content to our faith. There's nothing for us to proclaim if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead. Not only that, we are found false witnesses of God. Now, now hear, hear this. It's, a, it's important. Uh, that, that, that phrase is important. We are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. What's, what's he talking about here? Well, God, in essence, what He's saying is that God is lying. We, the apostles, are God's false witnesses. Because God said in the Scriptures that He would raise Him from the dead, and God was lying. And now we are lying too. So the, the, the implications, of course, is one, we don't have any hope in this world. And second, God is not who He says He is. God is a liar if Christ is not raised from the dead. Now, of course, this, you, you know, these arguments have no force on the unconverted person because they're not intended for the unconverted person. 
These arguments are intended for the church of God, and they are intended to pull the church of God out of doctrinal error. Paul sees the danger. There are some among you who teach there is no resurrection. Remember, all of the apostles right, who preach the foundation upon which you are to build your faith, they all preach this. Not only that, there are 500 witnesses. And, and Paul's writing 20 years after the resurrection. He could grab you by the hand and bring you to their houses. That's what he's saying. They're still among us, people who saw him. You see, so these, these arguments are not uh, intended to be apologetic in nature, to give a defense for unbelievers, but to give confidence and assurance to the believer. This is a, this is a discussion that is happening in, in the home. Right? This is a family discussion. Calvin writes, If this is the case that Christ is not raised from the dead, God will be exposed to the charge of falsehood. That's what Paul is saying. We are God's false witnesses. Why? For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not written, risen. If there is no resurrection of the whole, the part, the head, was not raised. If the head, this was his argument before, if the head is not raised, the parts will not be raised with the head. And now, the present implication, verse 17. And if Christ is not written, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The, the, the word that he used before, that uh, with regards to his preaching and our faith, he says then, what we preach is in vain, what you believe is in vain. Different word here. That, that has to do with truth. Our message and your faith contains no truth. You, you're, you're placing your hope on nothing. Here, it's not the idea of truth, but of emptiness. There's no content at all. It doesn't have to do with truth or error. Just There's no content to the things that you believe. Your faith is futile. And if your faith has no content, what does that mean? You're still in your sin. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, every person who professes to be a Christian will die in their sins. There's no purpose in trying to live a godly life, a life that is pleasing to God, because at the end, we'll all go to the same place. We're all going to be warm food. Now look at the past implications too. Then, also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Every person who has ever lived, in essence, Paul is saying, they're just warm food. They're dead. They've perished. They have no life and they have no hope. And you should have no hope in ever seeing any of them again. Past, excuse me, present, past, and now future. Future implication. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pitiable. When we, when we're, you know, as as we're driving to church on Sunday, and you know, maybe I I tend to do this. I'll put my Bible on my dashboard, you know, as I'm driving. When people see that that Bible, they should laugh if Christ is not raised from the dead. When they see us walking into this building, and if they hear us singing, and if they see the preaching, and if when they see us leaving here to 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 go home, we should be mocked for it. 
Well, they should pity us. Oh, what a bunch of poor, worthless saps. They've put their hope in something that is not true. There's no content to what they believe. They're still in their sins. And when they die, we're all going to go to the same place. What a bunch of miserable, worthless pursuits these people have given themselves to. If Christ is not raised from the dead. But what does Paul say? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... He adds this. Verse 20. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man death came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So as Christian people, we live in this world as men and women who ought not to be pitied. Men shouldn't pity us. Men should admire the weakest faith in the weakest Christian. Because it is the object of their faith that will get them into heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. We are not in our sins. We can live in confidence that God has been merciful to us, we can live in confidence that God loves us and that God will preserve us and bring us to Himself. And not only that, we are not false witnesses. We are confessing what God Himself declared in His Word, that His Holy One would not see corruption that Christ would be raised from the dead, that the Messiah, as we sang in Psalm 2, would be enthroned in Zion. Therefore, we are speaking the truth when we say that Christ was raised from the dead. Our faith is centered upon not empty things, it's not lacking any truth, but it is the truth itself. And all Christian preaching is true when it touches upon this point that Christ has been raised from the dead. So in light of these things, brothers and sisters, today, as we consider the resurrection, what should characterize Christian people more than anything else because of the resurrection? It's hope. Hope in this life, hope in the life to come. In light of these things, let's uh, pray, and then we'll sing the doxology. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to to consider and to set time apart to um, consider the resurrection of our Lord. And we ask now that you would help us to live in hope of His coming with joy and gladness. In His name we pray. Amen.